The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. First Peter 1, 13 through 2, verse 3. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass, The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached for you, to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I was really struggling knowing how to to introduce this sermon. So, of course, my mind went to Iron Man. Um, <laughs> if you've seen the movie Iron Man, one, two, or is there a third one? And uh, the Avengers, um, you will know that Tony Stark begins as a real jerk of a guy. Uh, nobody likes him. He likes himself, and that's about it. He does what he wants. He's a philanderer. Uh, he is consumed with his own pleasure. Something happens during the first movie where he has a type of conversion experience, realizing the wrong he's done, the hurt he's done. So he, going forward, decides, I want to change. Subsequently, in the movies following, it's that wrestling, it's that constant reminder of, well, I used to be like that, and Wow, do I still want to be like that? And why I want to be like this? And how does it all fit together? And what do I want my life to end up? What do I want my legacy to be? <clears throat> and as I was reading through this passage by, by, uh, in First Peter, I was thinking it's very similar kind of thing that we're presented with today that Peter's saying, this, this is, this is how we were. This is us before we understood who God was and and before we accepted the truth into our lives. And this is us now. This is us now, and this is also who we should be now. And then 
there's a looking forward to the future. <coughs> and all of that is encompassed in today's passage. And so I'll just get right into it. The title of this sermon, I suppose, could be uh, what we were, what we are and should be. And what does the future hold for us? <coughs> Three sections and some transition points along the way. What we were. Verse 14. Now I'm going to be jumping all over. I'm not going in, in uh, progression like I normally would uh, through the passage. Just jumping back and forth. I'm kind of dealing with the themes. And the first theme, what we were. Verse 14 <laughs> says this. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. <laughs> Formally, or before we gave our allegiance to God, we were ignorant of the truth of our sin and of salvation. Um, <clears throat> in our ignorance, our passions and lusts motivated and compelled us towards sinful things. And in our ignorance, we were separated from God. Clearly, the folks who Peter was writing to, they understood this. And we understand that as well. Whether, no matter how old we were when we asked Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, we understand the depravity that we came from and who we are outside of God's good and perfect will and who we are outside of his lordship. We understand that. So Peter is writing this because he wants to remind people about this is who we were. Verse 18, same thing. Knowing that you were ransomed from what? From the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Now, as a side note, uh, this verse indicates to many scholars that Peter has to be writing at least in part to those who were not Jewish as it is unlikely he would have spoken about Jewish forefathers passing down futile ways as an inheritance. <clears throat> I just think it's kind of cool understanding Peter's struggle with the Gentiles, or perhaps it's better said with his own Jewish pride. I think it's cool that he's writing to folks who are Gentiles, um, at least in part. But that's all I'll say about that. We have a lot more to cover. Regardless of who he's writing to, uh, whether they are Jewish or Gentiles or both, these ways of living which were practiced by those who came before us and were and who were not in God were futile. Futile in their ability to bring peace and joy, futile for any sense of lasting purpose and meaning and completely and utterly futile in their efforts to save someone from their sin. Peter wants to remind everyone, them and us, to make sure that we understand this futility. And this reminder is just as applicable throughout the ages to all of us who, who uh, follow God. <coughs> and folks... You know that people around the world for thousands of years have been trying to find ways to save themselves based on what they do or don't do. Or they have tried to convince themselves they don't need to be saved from anything. 
Just consider for a moment how you have seen that played out in your lifetime. What you have known about uh, from what you have read and heard about. Whether in Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, animism, secular humanism, and I could go on and on. Consider how many different futile ways have been and are being passed down from generation to generation and being practiced today. It's a futility based on a lie which originated in the garden when Adam and Eve bought into Satan's deception about God and their relationship with him. (coughs) There's a song by a group Switchfoot. (coughs) It's titled Mess of Me. And the lyric, there's a lyric and it begins and it says this. I am my own affliction. I am my own disease. There ain't no drug that they can sell. There's no drug to make me well. And the author of this song, you can see, uh, and, and he's a Christian who writes it. He's he's just recognizing our depravity. And we don't. And in the song also, he says, we can't forgive ourselves. We don't have that ability. I mean, truly, ultimately, that makes any eternal difference. There's somebody that can do that, and he's recognized that, and we all recognize that. <clears throat> Peter is saying this, we need to be saved, but we cannot save ourselves in all attempts to do so are futile. He wants to make sure his readers are knowledgeable of this. So that's where we were. Futile, hopeless, lost in selfishness, pride, sinful passion, unable to help ourselves. <clears throat> so what is it, then, that takes us from there to a different place, a place of hope, a place where the impossible burden of saving ourselves is, is lifted. It is, of course, through the love of the Father and through the precious shed blood of Jesus Christ. The book of Peter is saturated with this truth and should be no more important to Peter than it is to us. It is paramount that anyone understand this is the only way for us to be reconciled to God. The only way to salvation. Ephesians 2.13 says this, But now, in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's a beautiful verse. I'll speak to this a little more later in the message, but for now we are moving on from where we were to where we are and where we should be. <clears throat> it is clear that Peter is writing to people who have expressed belief in Jesus as their Lord. In verse 3, he says, He has caused us. I knew someone was going to bring me water. Thank you so much. What a blessing. I've been coughing now for 10 years. And every time I get up to speak, some servant brings me water. It's just awesome. All right. Thank you, Nate. And then somebody brings me a chair. (laughs) So Peter says he has caused us to be born again, which more than implies he he's including the reader in this. 
caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And there are multiple similar references throughout today's text and the rest of 1 Peter. So it seems at least most of the original recipients of this letter would affirm that Jesus' death and resurrection provide a way out of their ignorance and their futility. <clears throat> and that's really what the first word of the text is. And that's really what the first word of today's text is speaking about. The therefore in verse 13. Therefore is such an important word in the Bible. So important in any context to know what comes before it and what comes after it. Peter has reminded us in the first part of his letter that Christ suffered, that he died, that he rose again, that he has provided a means of salvation and and, and an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for us. He has reminded us about our suffering for the sake of Christ and the glory that awaits us at the revelation of Jesus. And then, therefore... Therefore, what? Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded. <clears throat> I want to deal with those two, two parts of this sentence. Peter is saying, OK, so because all of this is true, there needs to be there must be action. But before there is action, there needs to be preparation based on what you know to be true. <laughs> Therefore, prepare your mind for action. Or, as some other translations say, gird up the loins of your mind. What? <laughs> okay. It's funny because I went to a site where they were clearly King James only. Man, they, they so badly, I could tell, didn't want to ref reference any other translation. <laughs> but you kind of had to, because <laughs> nobody really understands what this means anymore. <laughs> At least not a lot of people. What does it mean? Well, <clears throat> it's referring to the, you know, when they they had free-flowing clothes and girding up the loins meant, okay, I'm going out, i got to go do something. I'm going to action. A soldier going into a battle or maybe a wrestler and he's going to wrestle. Or, you're going out. And so you're, you, you can't run with, anybody knows, if you've got some, you know, and it's maybe easier, a lot easier these days for a woman to understand. You've got a long dress on, and now you're supposed to take off running as fast as you can. You're supposed to pull those up, tuck them into your belt, make sure nothing's impeding you. And slowing you down, and now you're ready to go the best you can. And that's what Peter's saying. That's what we do. We got all this stuff in our minds, in our thoughts, in our hearts, and he's saying, you need to take that, and you need to put it under the control of the Holy Spirit. You need to gird that up. <coughs> Similar instructions given to Job in preparing to answer God. God's, God's uh, talking to Job and says, okay, Job, gird up your loins, buddy. <laughs> Because I'm going to ask you some questions and you better be ready to answer. He says the same thing to, to, uh, to Jeremiah. 
Just as God is preparing Jeremiah to go out and speak, he's challenging to gird up his loins, to face the, the problems he's going to, and the challenges he's going to face as a prophet. Um, perhaps you've seen this, and I think there's multiple examples of it, but uh, there's a guy, he robs a store. In this particular case, he robbed, he, he, he takes a couple, I guess, cases of beer. And they show the, the camera on the outside, and he's running out of the store. And they've got this all on camera, and as he's running, his pants fall down. Remember that? You remember when, just a few short years ago, and no, none of these guys were wearing belts? And their pants were like halfway down. Well, that was the case with this gentleman. And he, <laughs> as he's running, the pants get lower. Finally, they fall around his legs and he falls and the beer goes everywhere. He barely manages to get into his car. They eventually find him and arrest him. Great example of what we're talking about here. Okay? Don't be like that man. <laughs> if you're going to rob, no. Um, we need to be prepared. To move. We need to, in inside our mind and our hearts. And we take those things that are distraction and loose and we place them under the authority of... We gird them up and place them under the authority of God. Secondly, be sober-minded. You know, this necessary... The word sober necessarily means don't be drunk. But it also has all sorts of other uh, meanings... And it, it also means be awake and be alert. It means to be fully and seriously engaged in the work you are called to do. It's the state of mind of one who needs to be, it's the state of mind one's to need, one needs to be in to do their work well. Sober-minded, serious about what, what we have been given to do. Is this, I, I ask myself, does this describe me? Have I girded up my mind? Have I approached my work in a sober way? I'll ask you the same thing. Does this describe you? Based on what we know to be true, are we preparing our minds for action so we don't stumble or fall? Are we gathering up all that is in our hearts and minds and allowing them to be bound and controlled by God? Are we entering into our work soberly, understanding the gravity of entering into God's work? <laughs> okay, wow. This verse is a whole sermon in and of itself, and I haven't even finished it. I will, though, later. Okay, so where are we now? Where are we are to be people prepared for action, but what else? Most of your Bibles, beginning at verse 13, will probably have a heading similar to, it'll say, called to be holy or holy living or walking in holiness. <laughs> And I would say, and I'm going to cover two ways that this is uh, how how this can be manifested in our life. One is away from something, and one is and towards something else. Away from what? We cannot escape the reality that the test suggests God's people at times were being knuckleheads, and that's the case for us today as well. Verse 14: Do not be conformed. What? To the passions of your former ignorance. In Romans 12, 2, the only other time this phrase is used, do not be conformed. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Similar kind of thing. Why does Peter even have to say this? 
because he saw people conforming to how they used to be. Otherwise, he wouldn't have to say it. Ah, it's just, we know that that's true. I know that's true in my life. I am pulled back to the things I ought not be pulled to. And Peter's reminder is to them and it's to me and it's to you. But it's not just this verse. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Perhaps Peter thought there might be some ambiguity with what he says in 14. But there's no ambiguity in what he's saying in 2, verse 1. And the fascinating thing to me is it's not just put away, you know, put away malice, put all deceit or put away sin. He, he's very particular. He's very specific. And he doesn't just say put away some of these things. He's saying put away all. Why does he even need to say put away all of these things? I think because he recognizes some people, they want to keep it. They want to keep it. It's too difficult. To part with the habits, the pleasure it brings, if even momentarily, it's hard to let go of it. And he's saying, it's bad and you've got to put it away. The way you think about people, your thoughts, your jealousies, your pettiness, your selfishness, get rid of it. I think he's also saying it perhaps because they were looking at other people saying, I'm not nearly as bad as that person. I'm not as hypocritical as that person. I'm not as envious as that person. I'm not as malicious as that person. And so keeping 10% of it, that's not such a bad thing because I'm not nearly as bad as them. Kind of person who sits in church and hears a sermon and who's like, oh, I hope so-and-so is listening to this. And you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Look at that list. Look at the list. Then consider the life of Jesus. Was he any of those things? He was the opposite. I'm sure Peter was thinking about this when he was writing these words. Don't be like this. Don't, Don't do those things. Put them away. And not just a little bit. Put it all away. But I want you to consider this along with these verses as well. In verse 17, it says, and if you call and if you call on him as father who judges impartial, impartially according to each one's deeds. And verse 23, since you have been born again and in chapter two, verse three, and I apologize about this. And chapter two, verse three, if indeed you have been have tasted that the Lord is good. What's he saying? I hear you saying that this is true about you. And if it is true, if it's really true like you say it is, then you need to put this stuff away. I'm, I'm almost sure that well, I really struggled whether I should reference a Pink Floyd song. Listen, it was my brother who listened to this music. OK, and I was just in the background. There's a Pink Floyd song. <coughs> And someone comes up to them and they write a song about it, uh, this experience they had. And someone comes up to them and they're flattering them. They're telling them how sincerely they respect them, how fantastic they are. They're, they're such huge fans. And then at the end it says, oh, and by the way, 
because the bands are, which one's pink? Well, nobody's pink. No, the band was named Pink Floyd, not because of somebody in the band who was named Pink Floyd. And the point of the song is this. You think you know us? You're, you're flattering us? You're saying you're really respectful of us and you love us? And you didn't even know that we don't have somebody in our band named Pink? And I think that that's kind of what we do. We, oh, we're Christians. Oh, we want to give our lives to Jesus. We want to do anything we want. We're going to, we're going to just give our whole lives over to Him. And people watch our lives and say, really? Really? It's a high calling to be a son and daughter of Jesus. Let's live like it. So that no one would question it. All right. <coughs> Wow, got a Pink Floyd reference in there. Okay, so this is what we move away from, right? But it's never just about, well, it's rarely just about what we're not doing anymore. Okay, I could go a long time without slandering a neighbor and not be holy, not be pure, not be what Jesus wants. So it's about getting rid of something, but it's about putting on something else. It is what we are moving towards, emptying ourselves of one thing, filling ourselves with another. What do we move towards as followers of Jesus? And I want to say two things. One is internal and one is external. I'm just going to fly through this. First, the internal. Chapter 2, verse 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Now, we have eight children. My wife bore all of them. I watched them grow up from infancy. And I watched when they wanted to eat. And there was an urgency. And you can just see it, you know, and they're turning. And, and then once they are eating and drinking, just the satisfaction that you see in that baby. Do we have that? With God's word. And when we spend time with them. Is that how we're approaching that? And that's what Peter's saying. That's what I want in your heart. A desire like an infant baby. Longs for the milk. And is satisfied by it. And we know that as we, 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 we enter into that. We just mature and we grow. It's such a beautiful thing. And this, of course, two comes right behind. Get rid of all that other stuff, right? So get rid of that and do this. All right. Second, have uh, chapter one, verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. This is beautiful. Do you understand what it's saying? As you as you place yourself under the submission of Jesus And you say to him, I love you, I believe you, and I want to obey what is true and right. Do you see that the text says that this is a means of purifying your soul? It's a beautiful thing. So you purify your soul by your obedience to the truth. Third, chapter 1, verse 13. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. Where is your hope? Is your hope in anything other than Jesus Christ? One of the finest things I, I've seen 
or heard about when I hear about someone who's very wealthy, loses everything, people go to meet with them, and they are just a beautiful soul. And they testify the world, my money, my possessions had no hold on me at all. Because the entirety of who I am belongs to Jesus. Is your hope fully on Jesus? All right, these things we are called to are helping us to know better the mind of Christ, preparing our hearts and souls and minds for action. And then there's the external. Chapter 1, 14 through 16. <clears throat> as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. <clears throat> Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Again, this is an entire sermon. But notice the word conduct, which is external, but surely flows from a pursuit of righteousness. <clears throat> and there's the word all again. Do you see that? We're supposed to get rid of all of the sin, but we're also supposed to be holy in everything, in all our conduct. And we see that holiness is not just an internal thing. It should manifest itself in our actions. Holy, what does it mean? It's set apart. I could talk forever about this. It will look different, though. And your holy actions will necessarily set you apart in this world and could very well result in your suffering. The saints throughout the ages, and saints really can be defined as holy one, have suffered because of their holy conduct. And obedient children, man, I wish I just don't have time to go into it, but I just really want to quickly say, as a parent, like I said, eight children, oldest is 26. Kyle, are you 26 or 27? Um, <laughs> down to down to 12. What a beautiful thing. When a parent requires something of their child, the child doesn't fully understand what is being required of them, why it's being asked. And the child says, okay. I'll do that. Oh, how God must find pleasure when he requires things of us. And in our obedience and our love to him, we just say, okay, I don't know why. I don't understand. But I love you. I trust you. You have my best in mind. Okay, I'll do that. What a beautiful thing. And also with this, the holy is not just is it's really funny to me, I think. Do you know how when a father or mother says something, the child says why, and the father says, Because I said so, the mother says, Because I said so. Okay? Sometimes that's actually valid, and that's what Peter's saying here. He's saying, uh, he who called you is holy, because he who called you is holy, you also need to be holy. Since it is written. What? Okay, what's why? Why should you be holy? Well, because it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Because I said so. The Bible says so. So do it and be it. Okay? That's just a wonderful thing. And again, it's a, it, I'm, man, I've got to fly through this last part. Okay. Okay. 117. I'm just going to say it talks about 
conducting yourselves with fear. Fear of the Lord is used over 300 times. It's looked at as positive. A significant offense to God in Romans 3 is that they don't fear God. It absolutely should make a difference in our context. In our context, how we view God, our reverence for him, our respect for him. And there's there's a measure of fear, what he can do, what his justice demands. And we go forward and our our conduct should to do that. Just as sometimes my children knew if they don't obey me, we know that dad can keep us from this thing. So even though I'm not sure I'm really buying into this, I'm going to do it because I do have a certain amount of fear of dad. (laughs) So uh, they love me. Um, Right, Linda? Yeah. Okay. good. All right. One twenty two. Love one another earnestly from pure heart. Okay. listen, as a result of a pure heart. The result of a pure heart will be loving conduct towards others. And this is to be expected from the believer. Our conduct is so important. How we treat others, the things we say, the things we do. Everything is important. And that's what Peter's saying here. Everything is important. Inside and out. Okay, so what does the future hold for us? All right. There was a song, song, Doris Day. <laughs> Who knows Doris Day? She sang this. Uh, this that we a weekly show, and, and there was already a song. But she made it really famous. It was huge when I was little. K sera sera. Whatever will be, will be. That's how she sang it. The future's not ours to see. Que sera, sera. It was so nice and she was so happy and she's just floating around and happy with everyone. And you're thinking, que sera, sera. What's that mean? In Hollywood and in TV and in books, that's kind of what, man, we, we can't do anything. We have no control of anything. So, all right, man, just whatever. And oh, let's just let's just go be and do and whatever. Now, we know we know that's not appropriate response. It makes sense. And in some regards, there's a little bit of truth there. We don't know what's going to happen. The thing is, we do know the person who knows what's going to happen. And what's going to happen is is in his control. And he has called us to enter into that with him. And it matters significantly that we don't go forward saying, well, whatever. It matters significantly that we go forward saying, I trust in the eternal God. And he has a plan for me. And I'm going to walk in his ways. And I'm going to seek him for his wisdom. And I'm going to do what he asks us to do in obedience I can imagine Peter at the end of his life. Man, he was the rock. He did so many dumb things when he was before he was Jesus' disciple, while he was Jesus' disciple. I'm sure afterwards. But man, Jesus took him aside and said, "Peter, you're the rock. You're the rock. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. 
And on this church, on this rock, I will build this church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He was the man. And then Paul came along. And then you know what? After the council in Jerusalem, Peter's gone. He was the man. And he writes this book a few years before he dies. And you know what I think he's thinking? So what if I was the man? I am looking towards eternity with my Savior. And I can say that because there's all these references. He has foreknown before the foundation of the world in 120. In 123, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Another reference to eternity. 124, all flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And then this is the good news. Uh, This is the good news that was preached to you. And what is the transition point, though, from this life into eternity? 113. I think the key verse. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You guys, we have not experienced the fullness of the revelation of Jesus. It will happen, though. It is coming. We have experienced in part what that is like. And Peter says, the imperishable blood of Jesus saved you. The word of God, the living word of God is with you and has been and is now and will be forever. And he's looking and he's saying, that point, that point, that's where I set my hope. On the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I got that much more and I'm done. It is so important to have a correct understanding of this. We are going to be spending eternity with Jesus. And it is this we fully set our hope on. This will be the day when the fullness of God's grace is revealed through the revelation of His Son in all His glory. All that is will be instantly shown. All His beauty, all His power and glory, all His love and sacrifice. And we will understand in a new and beautiful way the riches we have through our wonderful Savior. As His children, we will be welcomed alongside Him. We will enter into our reward. We will celebrate with Him and we will worship Him together forever. And so we live now in light of this truth, in light of eternity. We set our hearts on things above, on Christ. We empty ourselves of anything which doesn't please Him, doesn't bring Him honor and glory, doesn't bring others into the saving knowledge of His love. We live now as redeemed children of God, thirsting for the Word and for time spent with Him, pursuing holiness and love in all our thoughts and all our action. This is the good news that has been preached to us. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.com. Dot org.